Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Trail Kreitzer of GoHunt.com on the line. Trail, how you doing? I'm good, Jay. How are you? Good. The last time I was talking to you, I think we were doing a Utah breakdown, um, and then I think you were telling us about your Arizona archery hunt a couple years ago. Um, today right. I want to get you on here to uh talk to you about new mexico we've got a draw deadline coming here in like five days i believe march 22nd uh is the deadline for new mexico so this i've already done a few podcasts on new mexico but i wanted to have you on because you hunted there last year and you have experience hunting uh in new mexico and so for those people that are kind of waiting to the last minute maybe this weekend to um, put their apps in uh, I thought revisiting New Mexico would be good, and I thought you'd be a great person to do it. Um, before we get to that, how are you doing, and um, where are you right now, and what's been going on with you uh, as far as you, you shed hunting yet, or what what's going on? <laughs> uh, yeah, doing good. Uh, I'm here in, in southern Utah in Cedar City still. Um, you know, currently, I, I explained to you a little earlier, but I'm holed up in my uh, my loft here above my garage. I got a four year old at home, and, and my wife works at home, so I'm trying to find a quiet spot. So <laughs> if you, you you hear him in the background, uh, I guess just ignore it. But uh, um, yeah, doing good. The weather's finally started to, to warm up a little bit here in Cedar City, and we've got some sunshine and mid 60s, and it definitely feels like shed hunting weather. But we're uh, we're still under that shed hunting. Uh, stoppage until april 1st and so they they put a hold on all shed hunting across the state of utah until april uh, just to keep uh, some of the pressure off those animals they've had a pretty tough winter in northern utah and i don't think they wanted to add any more pressure to the southern region so yeah but i'm hoping to get out i'm hoping there's still a few out and they haven't all been you know poached and picked up but yeah doing good awesome uh you know, when it when it comes to New Mexico and applying for New Mexico, I get a lot of people, well, let me back up. I get a lot of people sending me messages about Arizona and they'd like to apply in Arizona. And then, you know, I tell them, well, usually it takes, you know, for our trio, quite a few points and even with the new change. Um, but then I tell them, man, New Mexico is a level playing field or a more level playing field as far as um you know there's no point so at least when you apply you do have chances to draw tags and when i look at the total out of pocket cost as far as you know the 13 dollar application fee i believe there's a 65 dollar hunting license um right. you do have to float the fees um but if you do it on a credit card your credit card gets charged and then it gets refunded um, walk through your thought process on why New Mexico is a good uh, place to be applying, especially for elk and uh, deer and, and antelope tags for sure. Right. Yeah, I, th I think New Mexico is a great state to apply uh, for, for a lot of the reasons that you just, you just noted. Um, you know, uh, unlike a lot of states, maybe like a Colorado or Utah or, or even Arizona, 
some of those states have we've almost painted ourselves into a corner for uh, those good permits. I mean, you basically have very low odds of ever drawing those, and the way those point systems are, are set up, it can be pretty dang tough. And uh, New Mexico, like you said, it's it's a late or level playing field. Everybody has a chance to draw. Um, so I like that fact. Uh, I like the fact that it's it's pretty economical to apply. You, you do have to buy that $65 hunting license, but even that is refundable if you don't draw. Um, so you are. You're basically into it $13 per species um, as an application fee. And, you know, the cost of those permits are pretty high to float. Uh, they don't hold on to that money too long, uh, and you do get, get it back. So... I think it's a great state to apply. You never know when your name's going to come up and, and you get to go on a hunt of a lifetime, whether it's for, a, you know, a, a bull elk tag or, a, you know, maybe a, an ibex hunt or or something like that, or even maybe an antelope hunt. They have some giant antelope in New Mexico. But, yeah, you, you just never know. Um, it's absolutely worth playing the game, and, and they definitely have some great hunting in New Mexico. For sure. Um, just to make note here, um, New Mexico distributes their deer and elk and antelope permits under a quota system, and 84% of the of the licenses go to residents. 10% of the licenses are are given to uh, residents and non-residents applying with a New Mexico registered outfitter under the outfitter or guide draw, and then 6% of the licenses are awarded to non-residents that just apply on their own uh, without an outfitter and using the Go Hunt Insider um, draw odds, um, it, you know, it, it, it's obvious that putting in with an outfitter in a lot of cases about doubles your odds of drawing. Um, and we've had a, a lot of great outfitters on. I've had several on and we've already talked about New Mexico. Um, and you know i encourage guys if that's if if their wallet can handle uh hiring a guide their their odds are twice as good almost in some cases putting in with that outfitter but um trail you drew a tag last year for elk and i'm just curious to hear your experience with uh with with archery elk and how your hunt went and uh could you give us a little rundown on that yeah um, and, and I guess there's maybe some, uh, some preference to that a little bit, uh, in, it goes into your tag strategy for New Mexico. And I can talk a little bit about that and, and how that I drew the tag that I drew. Um, you know, New Mexico, they give you, uh, three choices when you apply, uh, and they will consider all three of your choices before moving on to the next applicant. So if you're, you know, the guy that draws a, a low number in the random draw, and they pull your application, um, you know, of course, you kind of want to swing for the fences for your first hunt, um, you know, maybe like a 16A or 16D elk tag, you know, and then you try to want to progressively uh, apply for hunts with maybe uh, better odds, but still would provide you a, a good hunt, a type of hunt that you could live with and go and have a good time with. So I actually drew unit 45, uh, which is the Pecos Wilderness, and I, I drew that as my third choice. Um it's uh it's totally almost totally a wilderness area there that unit sits kind of uh northeast of albuquerque and santa fe um i for me you know i used i used go hunt insider uh just like a lot of people out there and was able to look for a unit that kind of fit my fit my needs um you know i like a backcountry hunt i'm not afraid to to backpack and and hunt hard uh 
good numbers of elk in that unit 45 and and i felt like with uh the type of country that that is and number of permits and those kinds of things that i could probably find a pretty good bull so you know i had i had a great hunt um you know i i i left the day before and, and backpacked in i'd never been to the unit other than doing some major google earth scouting uh, I hadn't really done a, a whole lot as far as actual on the ground, you know, work. But uh, backpacked in the day before the hunt started, and uh, there's good trail systems throughout that unit. Uh, it is pretty pretty rugged and pretty remote, so you're gonna have to put some boot leather on the ground or, or have some horses to do well. But you know, I, I had a good hunt. I had uh, rutting bulls uh, pretty much from day one. Uh, Which hunt did you have trail? The first or the I, I had this. Yeah, I had the second, the, uh, the I believe it was, what, the 14th um, through the 25th, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I had I had bulls screaming the first day. I called in a, a nice five point the first day, uh, decided to pass on him just because it was the, the first day. Uh, I was into elk every day. I finally got into uh, a herd that had a nice herd bull that was a, a nice seven by seven, and I was just you know, bivvying out every night and every morning and just trying to stay with that herd of elk. And those, those, as you know, Jay, they can move a ton of country. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I just stayed with them, kept with them, kept with them. I had this this one herd bull that had a real unique bugle. Uh, it wasn't real melodic like a lot of bulls. It was almost just like an outright, outright scream. And so he was really easy to pick out. And uh, I just stayed with that herd and stayed with them. And then finally... Uh, one day, I one morning I got up and I got in close to him, uh, kept at it, kept at it, and could never quite close the distance. And then finally, uh, maybe 11:15, 11:30 in the morning, they were kind of cruising into a, a dark timber patch to to probably head to bed for the day. And uh, they had a satellite bull that cut five cows off. And as he cut those five cows off, he heard them right in front of me, and that herd bull uh, got pretty fired up. And so I let a couple of cow calls and, and piqued his interest and i kind of started to trail the herd uh of the raghorn that had cut those out and and he just came in on the trot and i was able to, to shoot him at 45 yards and and he went down and piled up but he's a beautiful seven by seven maybe a 340 kind of bull um it was a, a heck of an adventure to, to be in there that long by yourself for nine days and and to have it work out it was a, an awful fun hunt yeah, it sounds like it. Um, so you had the bull down, and then um, you had to pack your camp and the bull out. Did you do two trips, or or how did you how did you manage to do it? I, I've actually uh, got in touch with a gentleman that has uh, some horses that lives there uh, near Pecos. Um, he works at a place called Circle S Stables. Uh, anyway, I was I have I have one of those uh, Delorme. Uh, explorers that I, I can message out and so what I'd done is made arrangements where I could message my wife uh, the UTMs the GPS coordinates for where I was at and then she was able to actually call this uh, guy with horses and and give him the message and, and he came in and, and met me on the trail there and we were able to go in and and get the bull out so it worked out pretty good I didn't have to, to haul it out of my back thank heavens <laughs> yeah for sure what kind of what kind of country is that that you were in there in 45 it's a uh, pretty heavily timbered. Um, like I mean, that's ponderosa the thing. Ponderosa pine, or or even more uh, dark timber. Yeah, more dark timber. Yeah, they they had probably I would say it was close to maybe a forty thousand acre fire that kind of burned on the western kind of the southwestern edge of that unit, which is mostly where I ended up hunting. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's thick. I I've told people since I came home, you know, I packed a spotting scope and a tripod for nine days, and I don't think I had it out of my pack one time. <laughs> it's it's just that thick. Uh, and and if they weren't talking, I can imagine that would probably be a pretty tough hunt. So you get later into those muzzleloader hunts um, or those rifle hunts, it could be a tough hunt. But for for an archery hunt, it was pretty fantastic, especially when they were talking. How was your people issues with other hunters and and bulls getting jostled around <laughs> by people? uh that was the funny things i was telling my wife I, I didn't see another soul the entire time i was in there and and i don't know if that's just because i wasn't sticking you know i didn't really stick to the trail system completely i, I took one trail in uh, i took another trail back out but other than that you know i was off trail and, and kind of hunting back into the the deep timber stuff but i didn't actually see another person i saw other trucks at the trailhead but i, I didn't see anybody else uh, which is uh, kind of weird that's really neat. Um, did you encounter bears and turkeys, and what other animals did you see there? You know, I saw some muleys. Uh, I saw a couple of decent muley bucks um, up close. But other than that, I, I didn't see any bears. saw some bear signs. I know there's definitely, and it looks like good bear country, but didn't see any turkeys. But other than uh, a few muleys and, and the elk, that was about it. What, what kind of bow do you shoot, Trail? Uh, I'm shooting a Matthews Halon X, so it's a it's that Halon series, but it's the X model, which is a little bit longer axle to axle. It's got a 35 inch axle to axle and a, and a seven inch brace height. So I, I like a longer bow. I'm I'm six two. I shoot a 30 inch draw, so I feel like a, a longer axle to axle bow fits me better. Uh, the string angle is not quite so steep, and I, I tend to shoot those a little bit better. So. Yeah, that's what I'm shooting right now, and I, I, I love it. You know, I like to try a lot of different bows, but that's that's currently my, my favorite model. Are you one of those guys that, I mean, you say you try a lot of bows, but if you find one you really like, do you tend to kind of stick with one for a couple of years, or are you a guy that every year is shooting a new bow? Uh, I have had bows that I've, I've bought and, and stuck with. I, I had a... A Hoyt Matrix that I bought in 2010, and I hunted with that bow for probably three or four years, and and stuck with that just because I like that bow. Uh, I'll probably stick with this Halon X, but I I do buy and try a lot of bows. I've had, I think right now I have three three different bows um, that I'm just trying out, and <laughs> I I like to shoot a lot just besides bow hunting, so I shoot quite a bit too. Um, that's one of the lucky things about living here in Cedar City is we have a, a pretty active archery club and we've got two really nice outdoor ranges just up the canyon here, probably five miles from my house. So I do shoot quite a lot, but I I, I do like to try bows. But I think, you know, I, I like to find one that, that works well for me too and that's comfortable and I'll, I'll probably stick with it for at least this year anyway. Do you tinker a lot with arrows or do you get to where you found kind of an ingredient in, in an arrow and and a, a combo that you like and and or are you constantly tinkering with fletchings and you know inserts and what have you as well uh, i haven't tinkered too much with uh, fletchings and and inserts um i do i have tried some different arrows i i tend to keep going back to that gold tip pro hunter arrow yeah. It just seems to, to tune the easiest for me, and I, I tend to get the best flight out of that arrow. It seems like when I buy a dozen of those and I, I cut them and square them, I typically get, you know, maybe nine to, to ten arrows that are real straight and real consistent and shoot real well for me. So I've 
I've, I've pretty well stuck with those gold tip pro hunters this year. I am probably going to try out that new, uh, gold tip platinum pierce, which is a similar arrow only, um, it's got a smaller diameter and it actually has a, an outsert that kind of sits in the end of that. Uh, the issue that I run into with my arrows, you know, being so long, I'm, I'm 29 inch, uh, carbon to carbon is that my front of center can get a little bit off. Um, so the cool thing about these is I can shoot uh, these inserts at the end that should bump up my front of center, and I should get a little bit uh, better flight at distances, and I should all also get a little bit maybe added penetration. Um, I try to keep my arrows right around that 430, 440 range as far as uh, grains. I know there's a lot of guys that, that shoot a, a higher, you know, bigger grained arrow to try to maximize their their penetration but i'm I'm not shooting a ton of draw weight either i probably only shoot about 65 to, to 66 pounds so it, it works for me do you fletch all your own arrows i do yeah yeah i do do all my own archery work i i got really into archery like i said probably you know 10 to 15 years ago and and uh i just found that it was something I really enjoy and I really like. So, you know, I have all my own press and, and arrow saw and jigs and everything. So do everything myself. What, what fletchings do you like and what kind of helical do you go with? Uh, I, I've been a, a, a big fan of just the blazers, the boning blazers, the two inchers, and uh, I shoot a right helical. Um, and I, I just do those like in an Arizona easy jig. Uh, it's nice and easy. You can do all three at uh, the same time. And the thing I like about that is they seem to be pretty consistent. Uh, you know, a jig like a Bitson Burger is nice, but you have to do one vein at a time. And every once in a while, you can see a little bit of inconsistencies in the placement of the vein on your arrow. So I do like that uh, AEE jig. Works pretty good. So when you were hunting in 45, um, you basically had a run of the place and had the place to yourself. <laughs> yeah. um, the, uh, the, those bulls that you, or that group of elk that you were chasing, in essence, were you chasing you know, that group for nine days? And what was your encounter level like um, as far as were you encountering them morning and evening? Um, or were you kind of just shadowing them until the time was right and then you kind of moved in on them so i i got onto that herd probably on uh about day four or five i think um i'd had some a close couple of encounters with uh, another bull that was a six by seven probably wouldn't have scored as well as this this one that i killed uh, I was kind of on to him, and he kind of dummied up and, and quit talking for a day. So I moved to uh, another drainage farther to the west, and that's when I got onto this other herd. And like I said, that bull had a real unique uh, bugle. But yeah, what I was what I was doing was uh, trying to, you know, work in on on them of the evening, try to get myself in a position where I could I could get a shot or call that bull in. He wasn't very uh, responsive to calling he had a, a good number of satellite bulls probably all five or six i'd say satellite bulls that were anywhere from you know raghorns to to small fives and maybe one small six but um yeah i would just try to work in on them as close as i could in the evening try to get a shot opportunity if it didn't work out um i've been a big fan of bivy you know bivy hunting and and that's kind of been my my style for hunting elk uh, I just throw out my bivy sack with, it's already got my sleeping pad in it and, and blow that up and throw my sleeping bag in it. And, and I dump in bed and then the next morning, same thing up and out of bed early and 
just get everything thrown into my backpack, get fully loaded, and then try to work in on them in the morning uh, as good as I could. And in the morning, it definitely ended up uh, being more of a, you know, a shadowing. I'd try to get the wind in my favor and, and just shadow that herd and try to work in to, to a point where I could finally, you know, maybe get a shot. I had a couple of mornings where I, I almost had a crack at that bull. Um, but it just didn't quite come together. I was within range, but he was either, you know, facing dead away from me or there were other elk in front of him. Um, it wasn't until, you know, later in the hunt that I was actually able to, to get in a perfect position and call that bull through to a, a lane where I was able to shoot him. But Did you ever booger the group um, in the nine days, like where you really boogered them or were you kind of cat and mousing it a little bit, but but not getting super aggressive? Yeah, I was kind of cat and cat and mouse, and I will say there was one day where I, I felt like I I bumped them pretty good, and they did end up moving probably almost two miles, and uh, I was able to move that afternoon around the drainage, just kind of looking at maps and my GPS and and trying to figure out where I thought they might end up, and I was able to move around into those drainages and and pick them up again that evening. But for the most part, I was being you know playing the wind, you know, trying to be super sneaky as i could and really play the wind um you know elk especially that time of year when they're rotting hard you can get away with you know maybe being seen or some sound but if they they smell you you know they're they're out of there so (laughs) really really playing the wind what kind of boots um do you like and what kind of boots did you wear on that hunt or yeah so the the last couple of years i've been wearing uh a German-made boot that's that the company is Hanwag. It's H-A-N-W-A-G, and the boot that I've been wearing is called the Alaskan GTX, and that tends to to fit my foot better. Um, you know, I'm Kreitzer. Obviously, I'm I'm German. I don't know if that has anything to do with the <laughs> the, the shape of my foot, <laughs> but uh, a a German-made boot tends to fit my foot better. So whether it's a, a Loa or a, a Hanwag, um, you know, it tends to work a little bit better for me than maybe like a, a Zamberlin or a Kinetrek or an Italian-made boot. So that's what I've been using the last few years. I'm, I'm kind of a boot junkie. I've got a, a couple of pairs on order that I'm going to try this year, and, and we'll see how they do. Nice. Um, how was your weather during that hunt uh, in those nine days? Did you get quite a bit of uh, rain or, or was it dry or what was the status? Uh, it was kind of a mix. It did get some rain. I think I had one day that it rained almost the entire day. And uh, other than that, I would have, you know, periodic rain, rainstorm that would blow through. Um, the day after I killed that bull and uh, was able to, to get the bull out, it rained really hard that day and I had a long long hike out in the rain but uh i killed that bull at eleven thousand feet so it was you know pretty cold for a september hunt i had definitely had some nights where it was cold <laughs> and uh i wished i'd maybe packed a, an additional layer but it was it was cold at times from an elk behavior standpoint um what did you notice um the days when it didn't rain and what did you notice you know during the rain after the rain was there any particular things that the elk did, um, you know, that you could note that that you observed with with the changing of the weather? Yeah, it seemed like uh, after you know the day that it rained really hard, um, you know, leading up to that, it was pretty good activity. You know, obviously during that rainstorm when it rained real, real hard, there was very little 
that barometer dropped and, and I didn't see a ton of activity while it rained hard. Uh, on the tail end of that, uh, we had the sun, you know, the sun peaked out and, and it got a little bit warmer and it was calm and it seemed like it really fired up then. So yeah, those tail ends of a storm can be good. And then on, on the, the beginning of those storms, it seems like before they're coming in, it seems like they'll move around a little bit, they'll get some feed, uh, and then look like they're going to hold up for, uh, some time while that storm blows through. Seems like when the actual rain is happening or the squall or what have you is, you know, blowing and nasty. It's been my experience that they kind of hole up as well. And, you know, yep. I, I, you hear people say, Oh, it's gonna, you know, the storm and they're going to rut like crazy. Well, you know, I'm curious your thoughts and what you just observed kind of falls in line with what I've seen where once it kind of settles down and it calms back down and mellows out that that they get back to getting out and getting in the open a little bit more or at least getting active getting on their feet and running around and bugling but they kind of hunker down too has been my experience yeah absolutely i think so too um you know they're they're gonna run right out of storm just like i was (laughs) but yeah on the tail end of that it can be real good uh, let's go ahead and dive into um, some of the units. Uh, you know, I, I think you made a point that your strategy is to go for a 16A or a 16D tag, um, you know, either first or second uh, or first or second hon on your first or second choice. But then, you know, at, as you taper down, so to speak, your third choice is, is you know, maybe some of these um, more what guys would call maybe mid-tier type units where maybe you're not seeing those, you know, 350, 360, 370, 380 bulls. Um, but, you know, you're seeing, you know, 280 to, you know, 330, 340. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are there some other units out there that, that uh, you know, a handful of units that you say, you know, kind of keep your eye on these these units? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there are. There's a, a few units, maybe a unit like 13, um, you know, I don't know if that's a, a total secret. There's not a there's there's some big bulls that come out of 13 every year. Uh, it's got kind of a complex mix of private and public and and reservation lands, but every year it seems like there's a big bull that comes out of that unit, and it definitely has the the potential for a big bull. Uh, you know, unit 17. I didn't talk about it earlier. Obviously, it's a, a tough unit to draw, but that has good bull potential. I don't know that I would consider that maybe one of those mid-tier units, but certainly a unit worth noting uh, when you talk about New Mexico. Um, you know, as far as like those other mid-tier types um, with with maybe decent odds, uh, maybe a unit like 52. Uh, you know, a lot of elk, high populations, uh, possibility of killing a, you know, maybe a 280 or 300 kind of bull is pretty good. Um, you know, 34, 36, I don't know if those would be considered uh, mid-tier as far as draw odds go, but as far as trophy potential, you know, those are good units that can produce a, you know, maybe a 320 up to 330 kind of bull. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities uh, in New Mexico. Um you know, maybe even like, a, you know, the, what is it, number 55, unit 55, uh, the Via Vidal could be really good um, for a, a nice mature type of bull. So that's the good thing about New Mexico is you literally have so many options. There's all, all kinds of different opportunities. Yeah. 
I'm looking at the Gohan Insider um, draw odds here, and I'm looking at Unit 45 for the hunt that you had. Mm -hmm. Last year, there were 97 applicants uh, for five tags, and so your percentage of draw was 6.8 in the non-resident, uh, non-guided pool. Uh, right. And and so you made the most, you know, getting drawn at 6.8%, you made the most of, you know, shooting a 340 bull. Um, for that unit 45, is is that, you know, towards the upper end of bulls? Um, you know, do, do you feel like that that's a really good bull for that unit? Yeah, I, I do. I think that's, uh, it's a good bull for that unit for sure. I mean, I, I ran into a, a conservation officer there at the trailhead just as I was loading up to leave and, you know, he checked my permits and, and my ID and, and looked at the bull and said that was probably one of the better bulls he'd seen come out of there in a, in a number of years. Um, but, you know, looking at that country, I definitely can see how a, a bull could get big. I mean, there's there's good feed. Like I said, there's a, a good fire that blew through that country. The feed's excellent, and, and it's pretty remote. So a bull could definitely find a hidey hole in there and get some age to him. Um, but, yeah, I, I do feel like, you know, I didn't see, you know, any other bulls uh, better than, than the one I shot. Yeah, and I'm looking at, again, at the Gohan Insider, and I'm looking at 2015, uh, in the non-resident uh, pool, there was 55 apps, five total tags. The draws were 12%. Obviously, 97 mm -hmm. apps went in in 2016, so the, the applicants almost doubled. Probably right. after, after this podcast, it'll probably go to <laughs> about a half a percent. But, um, you know, I, I bring that up. You know, you work for Go Hunt, um, yeah. obviously, but, you know, this insider tool is so amazing because you can go and look and compare uh, the draw odds from from prior years. Um, you can go down here and look at the harvest success. You can compare the tag allocations. You know, from from 2015, there were you know 63 residents, five non-residents, seven in the guided draw. Uh, whereas in in 16, so that was 15, 16. There's 63 resident five non-resident and eight in the guided draw um and so, so you can look at where the trends go um and i want to encourage the listeners if you're not a go hunt insider member you can use the j scott promo code sign up you're going to get a 50 dollars kuyu gift card um but trail asking you um you know you obviously work at go hunt you obviously know how the go hunt insider works very well mm -hmm. what do you see as the advantages of being able to research units um using this tool yeah i mean it's in my opinion it's a, a game changer it just it takes all that information that that uh you know is out there whether it be from a, a state harvest report you know um you know, draw odds, all that information, it puts it into a really nice, uh, concise, workable package. Uh, I can basically filter down to the types of units that I'm interested in in, in five minutes. Um, you know, you, you brought up that hunt that I hunted. I hunted the second archery season. Um, you know, very quickly I can look at this the draw odds for the first archery season, which are September 1st through the 24th. You know, I can see the harvest success for the last five years. I can see the number of permits, my draw odds. I mean, I can very quickly uh, compare different hunts on the same unit. I can compare, um, you know, different hunts on different units. It's just, 
it's so easy and user-friendly that you can really tailor uh, your searches to what kind of, of hunt you're looking for. Um, so yeah, for me, I mean, it's an incredible tool. Um, I think it's uh, a game changer in my opinion. For sure. Uh, let's move on to um, talking about deer and yeah. um, what do you know about New Mexico deer? Uh, you know, obviously they have opportunities for mule deer and coos deer. Give me mm-hmm. your thoughts on that. So, I mean, New Mexico isn't typically known to, to produce a lot of big bucks uh, outside of maybe a, a few units. Uh, when you're talking about, you know, big mule deer in New Mexico, you're usually talking about 2B or 2C. Um you know, obviously, those are, are where the, the bulk of the better bucks are coming from. That 2B is a little bit dependent on, on migration from Colorado. So, you know, late season, if you get some, some good cold weather and some nasty snowstorms uh, in that area, it can definitely put some more deer uh, into 2B, and it can be a good hunt. Uh, you know, 2C can be good. It's probably a few more resident deer. Uh, both of those units, will, you know, could pretty regularly produce uh you know, 170, 180 to maybe even up to that magical 200 inch mark. So, I mean, those are typically the ones, uh, you know, another one you might throw in there would be 5B, uh, which is more of a traditional high country type of, type of hunt. And they, they do produce some nice bucks out of that unit, but it's primarily a factor of how they manage that. Um, you know, beyond that, they, they just have a lot of opportunity type of hunts, uh, and it is a good opportunity to, to get out and still go deer hunting. Um, you know, maybe a unit like 13 or 16 or 17. Uh, you know, 17's got pretty decent harvest success. They, they don't have high deer densities, but you, you can still definitely find deer to, to hunt and, you know, potentially take a nice representative buck. Um, you know, you, you spoke about coos deer. I know you're kind of a coos deer nut, right? Yeah. <laughs> do you buy in new mexico kind of no actually i don't <laughs> i don't for uh coos deer um, yeah. you know coos deer in new mexico uh, you know you've got unit 23 24 and 27 right um, and you know with the opportunities that i have here in arizona for me it comes down to a time issue of right. you know trying to manage you know all my mexico hunts and everything that i have going on in the fall um it's one of those things they do have some quality deer um you know it seems like every every year there's you know a pretty darn good buck you know 115 or 120 inch buck um shot in new mexico i think there's some giants um i i think new mexico in my opinion probably has a little bit more untapped or untouched places that are you know kind of wild areas that you can go in um, yeah, but, I'd, I'd agree. But with all the opportunity we have here, it's just something that 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 I don't um, focus on. What are your thoughts on coos deer in New Mexico? Yeah, I I, I agree. I'm kind of on the same page. I think probably overall uh, Arizona is a much you know better option as far as numbers and and potential. Uh, I do think there's some decent deer hunting in New Mexico. You know, you spoke basically about the same the same units that are kind of on my radar, which is you know, 23, uh, then you've got the, the Borough Mountains, which is a separate unit within Unit 23, which can be pretty good. Uh, unit 27, you, men- you mentioned, uh, right there against the Arizona border, uh, could be pretty good. 21A uh, could be decent, and they will pull some, some decent bucks out of that. And, and then maybe also Unit 24, which you noted. 
But, uh, you know, the cool thing about New Mexico is you can mix and match your choices for deer. I mean, you could throw in um, a mule deer hunt for your first two choices and throw in a, a coos deer hunt for your third choice. So always always an opportunity that way, and, and I do think you're, you're spot on. I think there is some untouched country, and, and it seems like those deer aren't. You know, I don't. It seems like a lot of other states. You know, all those big animals, people really know. They know them. You know, yeah. <laughs> almost have them. You know, named. And I don't seem to to hear that or see that out of uh, New Mexico. So you never know. You could kill a giant in any one of those units. I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, now I know you hunted uh, antelope last year in New Mexico. Yeah. Um, New Mexico for antelope. It's a little bit goofy. Um, tell me what you know about New Mexico antelope yeah so i i drew an archery permit uh in unit 18 so i had 18 you know 36 and 37 that i could hunt as a, an archery hunter i was only able to hunt uh open public lands i was limited to the, the state sections uh, which made it pretty tough because i saw some nice uh nice bucks on private lands if you draw a rifle permit uh in new mexico on the flip side you'll be assigned to a, a private ranch and and that's the ranch that you'll be able to hunt and you don't have any you know any kind of you know leeway you don't make that decision you just get assigned to to the ranch that you're going to hunt um so it could be you know top tier could be great it, and it might just be so so um but yeah, they do. They do kill some nice antelope. I mean, I, I hunted uh, a couple of bucks that I thought would would push that eighty inch mark. Uh, did, I ended up settling on one buck, and I hunted him every day that I was down there. He was a, a real wide buck, kind of flayed out at the top, and I really liked the looks of him. And I was within bow hunting range, you know, forty to sixty yards, probably five different times, and was just able never able to to get a good shot off on him, but. I, uh, I helped a, another guy that was from Texas that had drawn a tag. I helped him kill a, a buck that I had scouted, which was really cool to, to help him out and, and get to see that buck on the ground. But, yeah. Now, I know the next thing I'm going to ask you about, I, I, I don't know for a fact, but just knowing how you are, I'm sure this is high on your radar of something that you absolutely <laughs> are dreaming about. Um, my, my application's already in. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ibex. Uh, yeah. I have a feeling that, you, you know, you're the type that if you were to draw a tag, you'd be an Ibex junkie. And, um, man, they're neat animals. Um, you know, it's just, uh, what's your thoughts on the Ibex? Yeah, and and you're spot on. I, I already do. I have a, have my application in for a, an archery hunt there in the Florida Mountains. Um, you know, they have two hunts. They've got an October and a January season for archery. Uh, I'm fully uh, aware that <laughs> that's an uphill uphill battle. I mean, harvest success is typically you know 10% lower for those hunts, but. You know, for me, I just, I, I'm not really hung up on whether I harvest a, an Ibex or not. I'm, I more just want to experience that type of hunt. I know that that's a, a pretty rough and rugged mountain, but you, you're spot on. Those animals are just incredible. So, yeah, for me, I, I'm definitely all in on, on that, and I, I hope that one day I, I get the chance to hunt those. But, you know, for, for everyone else, I have a lot of friends that apply for that. They, they typically apply for the rifle hunt, and, and the muzzleloader hunt is a second choice, and you know, New Mexico is a state with a muzzleloader. You can shoot a pretty modern muzzle muzzleloader setup with a, a scope, and you know that can still be a, a pretty good hunt. So, 
you know, good numbers of animals, still pretty decent trophy potential. Might not be what it was maybe a, a few years ago, but they still kill some giant ibex. And, and for me, it's like I said, I just want to experience that hunt once. <laughs> yeah, and, and for you, would you rather have the October or would you rather have the January hunt? Uh, I, I think I'd rather have the January just based on, you know, the weather would be a little bit cooler. Uh, hopefully Let, I wouldn't have to pack. Rattlesnakes. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not a huge fan of rattlesnakes. So, uh, I'd rather have that January one, but I would, I would certainly take either one just for the opportunity to hunt them. For sure. And then, um, Oryx, is that something that you're into at all? Um, that, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't applied. I mean, they're they're an awfully neat animal, a uh, really cool animal, and you definitely have some neat opportunities there uh, to, to hunt that the White Sands Missile Range, and, and they do have a couple of different units. They've got the Stallion Range and then the Rhodes Canyon. Uh, I had a, a good friend that accompanied a buddy this last year, and they went down, and, and he started sending me pictures of their hunt, and, and they harvested a great buck, and it was just... At that point, I really started to think heavy about it just because it looked like such a fun hunt. Um, but yeah, another another cool opportunity that's unique to New Mexico for sure. Yeah. And then uh, sheep, you obviously apply for sheep. Do you mix your application and... and um... uh, so so for sheep, I mean, it's, it's tough as a non-resident in New Mexico. Uh, you know, they'll likely have up, up to two permits maybe in the guide draw for Rockies and up to two for for deserts in that guide draw. And then as far as the regular draw, you're basically looking at one, you know, one Rocky and one desert. So uh, for me, it makes sense to, to apply for the best units out of the gate. Uh, I typically go with the, the desert. So I, I go with that Ladrone unit and then, you know, maybe the, the Hatchet Mountain and then... You know, for Rockies, I'm probably looking at that Rio Grande of the the Latir, but I I, I kind of mix and match. But yeah, I, I apply, and and I guess you just never know. You know, you only know if you don't apply, right? Yeah, and you know the thing is in New Mexico, the the sheep hunting. If you get a tag, it pretty much all the units have good rams. So, I mean, it, they they limit the numbers of tags. You know, un, you know, there's very very few tags but I, I mean i would take any sheep tag in new mexico oh absolutely yeah I mean, me as well I, I would take any sheep tag anywhere to be honest with you but it, you know new mexico is a must put in for state in my mind if you're a sheep hunter just because of the quality you know odds for any type of sheep hunts are horrible but right. um you know you could kill a good ram rocky or desert in in pretty much any unit i mean some are a little bit better than others like you mentioned but you know the it's it's just a you gotta do it if you're a sheep hunter right yeah no i i think they they had a banner year last year i mean i think they killed you know nine rockies that were over 180 and you know a pile of of 170 type of deserts and you're right. I mean, for the the thirteen dollar application fee, you know, why not? Absolutely, you got got to have your name in in the draw. For sure. Um, do you have have you already drawn any hunts, or do you have any hunts on the books already for this coming year that you know about? Um, you know, do you got yeah. anything going on? Yeah. So I I uh, I drew a Wyoming general season elk tag. Um, you know, a hundred unit sixty one 
probably it's been three years ago, I guess. And, you know, looking at the point creep there in Wyoming, I just decided rather than, than chase that again, I would just throw in and do general season. And, and I'm primarily a bow hunter. So I, I think that uh, those general season archery elk hunting opportunities in Wyoming are, you know, way underrated. So I'm going to go up and give that a go. Uh, I This last uh, fall, uh, we went to Kodiak and, and hunted Sitka Blacktail. And there were six of us that went and we just had such a good time that we decided we wanted to go and try to do that again. So I've got me and, and a group of three other buddies are going to go up and do that again the first week in, in November. And we just we had such a good time last year. I mean, tags for 150 bucks. You can buy three tags. So, you know, the price has changed now, but we were fortunate enough. We bought ours last year uh, before they went up. But, yeah, we're going to do that. And then uh, I just have a general season dedicated hunter uh, deer tag here on the Dutton which is, you know, right out my backyard where I grew up and, and kind of my favorite unit to hunt. Yeah, so being a dedicated deer hunter in Utah, um, you only get to kill two bucks every three years. Where right. where are you in that cycle? Have you, are you, you know, where are you? Have you killed a buck? Can you kill a buck this year? Um, where are you at? So I'm on my second year. Uh, I hunted last year pretty hard and, and did not harvest I, I hunted one buck, and I think I saw him uh, two times in probably 14 days <laughs> for maybe maybe a, a total of about six seconds. It was all I saw that buck, just enough that I knew he existed was about it. But Just enough uh, to keep you going and give you nightmares. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just enough to, to drive me crazy. But, yeah, I, so I didn't harvest last year, so I've got two years left. So I'll, I'll want to harvest this year and then next year. So. I'll probably put my time, you know, back in on that. I, I really like that Utah muzzleloader season, so I'll, I'll probably try to put some days in there, and then also during the bow hunt. So, and just to be clear to the guys listening, Utah has a dedicated hunter program, and it's for resident. I believe it's for residents only. And you can do, yeah, non-residents and and residents actually. Really, I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah, yeah, non-resident can can draw into the program. Um, it's a higher cost, obviously, as a non-resident, and you're still, you know, required to either do the, the service hours, the 32 service hours, or you can buy those hours out at a cost of $20 per hour. So a resident can buy a portion of those out, but a non-resident could actually buy uh, all of their service hours out if they want to. So Really? You get, yeah. So, so six, if, if my math's correct, that's like 600 and some bucks. So in other words... Um, the thing that intrigues me so much about that is the fact that the way the dedicated hunter program works is you can actually hunt the archery season, uh, you can hunt the muzzleloader season, and then you can hunt the general season and you get to hunt all of those seasons. Correct me if I'm stepping out of, out of turn here, but that's the way I interpret it. And what an opportunity if you are a deer nut. Um, you know, and it helps, I'm sure for you to be a resident where, you know, you can hunt all of those seasons. Um, you can only kill one buck, but what an opportunity. Right. Yeah. You're, uh, you're, you're spot on and, uh, we're, we're beyond the Utah deadline, but, um, you know, for next year, if you guys that are out there that are non-residents are interested, if you ever thought you might want to enter into that dedicated hunter program, you can actually get a, uh, a preference point for the dedicated hunter program and also for general season deer. You can apply for both. And they do the, the dedicated hunter drawing first, 
and uh, if you're unsuccessful in a dedicated hunter drawing, um, then you'll actually still go into the general season drawing, and you, you could draw a general season deer tag. So it's a it's a really cool opportunity. I actually think it's the best opportunity that you can get uh, to kill a big buck on a general season unit because just like you're saying, you can hunt that buck, you know, archery, muzzleloader, and rifle. But, I mean, so, keep in mind that the, the one downside is that there is a lot of hunters and it get does right. get a lot of pressure. But um, like I said, for, for guys that have a lot of time, it's a great yep. opportunity to be able to hunt archery, muzzleloader and rifle. And, and, you know, you live there. So you, you know where those bucks live all year long and where they transition, where they are in the summer, where they are in that muzzleloader and then where they are in the rifle. And, obviously from your story last year of chasing you know a buck over and over and over and only getting to see him one time in two weeks um there it's not easy i don't want people to think oh yeah i'm gonna do the dedicated (laughs) hunter program and go out there and slay a giant but if if you have if if you were retired um or if you were in the position where you could spend a lot of time and really you you wouldn't you don't have to spend a lot of time. It's just what an opportunity if you could spend the archery season, you know, really trying to pattern a buck. If you don't get him killed, try and kill him on the muzzleloader hunt. You know, if you don't get him killed, try and figure out where he goes for the rifle hunt. Just just creates for a cool story because you get to chase him with three different weapon types. Um, yeah. So I, I just think that's pretty neat. It is cool. It's a unique opportunity, and it's, it's fun. I've had really good luck in being able to scout a buck you know, hunting through the archery hunt and, and haven't been able to get it done. And then I've killed, you know, a number of decent bucks, you know, good bucks on the first day of the mu- muzzleloader hunt because, you know, those deer during that muzzleloader hunt here in Utah, they're still pretty well up in their summer range. They're still bachelored up. They're still not too far from where they spent their summer. So it's a, it's a cool opportunity. It's a, I'm, a, I'm definitely a fan of the, that dedicated hunter program. I want to take a second here to uh, thank the sponsors of my podcast. Uh, obviously, I mentioned GoHunt.com, Insider, uh, Kuyu.com, PhoneScope, and The Outdoorsman's. And you guys can check the show notes um, down below when you download this episode. Um, and you can go on my website, jscottoutdoors.com. And there are promo codes that you can use with each company where you guys can get discounts um and uh i encourage you guys to if you like the podcast i appreciate your support uh uh, but i appreciate you also supporting the sponsors of this podcast i want to thank them for their support and trail the only other question i have for you is um i want to know be honest with me how many times that you've been talking to me now in the last hour that you've checked your credit card uh, for <laughs> for Arizona because today is the 17th of uh, March and uh, credit cards have been getting hit all across uh, Arizona and my phone's been blowing up. I've I've had it off fortunately so it's not buzzing but I'm seeing here um uh I had it on Do Not Disturb and everyone's I drew this I drew that and and uh, I'm just curious if you've uh, if your phone's been blowing up as well or if you know have you drawn yet or or I- What's the status? I, I haven't. I, I haven't had any notifications. I have. Uh, I'd be lying if I said, I, I, I've been checking for sure. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I, 
had a cool, you know, my, my oldest this year turns 12. And so this was the first year he, he finished Hunter's Ed and I was able to, to put him in. I mean, Arizona is so cheap. You can put your kid in for five bucks. So, um, you know, I put him in also and, you know, slim odds, but you never know. So I definitely have been hitting refresh on my phone. <laughs> for sure. Well, that's, um, you, you get, getting out at all turkey hunting this spring or, or what's, what's your spring plans here? You know, I, I have some friends from Montana, and uh, I, I keep I keep digging them a little bit on trying to to let me come up there and, and hunt uh, spring spot and stock bear with them. So nice. I'm I'm gonna try I'm gonna try to do that if I can. Yeah, that and then you know probably shoot my bow a bunch, and then uh, hopefully do some shed hunting when it opens up here in Utah. So you know, between you and Miller down there in Vegas, yeah. two. I mean. You couldn't get two more bow geeked out dudes. I mean, and I love it. I say that with all due respect, but you two together being on Go Hunt staff, it's like, oh my gosh, you got two of the <laughs> two of the 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 most techie, like into like all the details, which I love. I, I love it. I think it's awesome. Um yeah. you know, and he he's just a one in a million as well, talking about all of his stuff and you know that the passion you guys have for bow hunting and it's not that i don't have it it's uh, you know you guys dive into a whole realm of details that uh you know just it's awesome love to see yeah. it. love it no it's it's tons of fun brady's a, a such a great guy and and i think you're right we are i don't know it's just what i i like i it took me not too long into hunting to realize that if I wanted to hunt more consistently that I was going to have to pick up a bow and arrow. And then just subsequently I fell in love with it, you know, everything that, it, that goes into it. So yeah, I love that stuff. This is my favorite time of year. Those applications start coming back and you start building plans and putting equipment together. I mean, it's just, it's fun. Sounds good, buddy. Well, I appreciate you spending some time with us and congratulations on, uh, getting a great bull last year in New Mexico and um, getting to hear about that story. And I know, you know, like you had your Arizona elk tag a, a couple years ago, and um, I, I know how much you love archery elk hunting, you, you know, and you did a late elk hunt uh, a couple years ago in Arizona. So for you, they don't necessarily have to be bugling. I assume you like that a little bit better, but you're just a, a you know, diehard archer and, and, um, <laughs> I just, I really like that yeah. about you and I appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise with us. All right. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. It's, it's always fun. So I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Take care and uh, God bless. And I hope that, uh, it, just because you haven't got a hit yet in Arizona, I'm hoping maybe <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> maybe you'll get another hit today. I assume, you know, usually it takes about four five, six days to, um, you know, hit all the cards and what have you, but certainly it doesn't help when everybody's getting hits and you're sitting there checking and, no <laughs> and nothing's going on, but keep the faith because right. it, I've, I, I, I will. Okay. Sounds good. All right. God bless buddy. Yeah. Thanks Jay. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.